0: What's good, Alaska? This is Scott Levesque, and you're listening to the Thursday edition of the Must Read Alaska podcast. I want to thank you for joining us and just appreciate all of our listeners out there. Hey, if you have a moment, why don't you give the Must Read Alaska podcast five stars we love to see that we love that you guys are interacting and we just appreciate your support if you want to take it a step further you can go ahead and leave us a written comment that always helps when it comes to our ranking and people being able to find the podcast so again thank you guys for joining us and i just want to take a moment because it is the holiday season and it's the countdown really to christmas i just want to say thank you to suzanne downing and john quick two of the best teammates that you could ask for obviously must read alaska is being led and run by Suzanne Downing, and she is great to work with. I love being on this team. So I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you. Uh, Really appreciate them. And you could do the same as well. If you want to donate and make sure that Must Read Alaska can continue providing all of this content and more, uh, I'd encourage you to go to mustreadalaska.com, and up at the top right-hand side, you'll see a donation button. I want you to go ahead and click that. It always helps us to make sure that we're fighting against the left-leaning media to help provide you with critical conservative content so that you know what's going on from the right side. And so again, thank you so much. I really love working with this team and I really love our listeners. It's been incredible to bring this content. But let's dive right in. This week has been really interesting and really the the nexus of what happened this week culminated on Tuesday when the assembly had uh, what was, I guess we can call it now, just an average assembly meeting where things got out of control, people got taken out, and a uh, individual was arrested for participating in public testimony. So it, let's dive a little bit into this. And really the first thing I want to touch on, and one of the things that I really would love to hear from our listeners on is, do you feel like there is a a real bias when it comes to whether it's protesting or public testimony from the assembly. Now, the majority of the assembly, I'd say, is left-leaning. I'd say a lot of them have real left ideology. And what I've been noticing, and something that they'll never come out and say, but it really is apparent in how they handle a lot of what they would call the chamber etiquette, is that they give a lot of leeway to those that have left-leaning ideology and take away any sort of uh, ability for those who have conservative ideologies or any ideology that goes against the majority of the assembly from participating in a lot of these events. Now, many of you remember that when the assembly was in the midst of these Black Lives Matter protests, two Black Lives Matter protesters actually walked into the chambers, laid down in front of Felix Rivera, and just stayed there the entire time, weren't asked to leave, weren't asked to move, weren't asked to take their business elsewhere. They were allowed to stay where they were. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, they had another Black Lives Matter protester come in and curse and swear and point out and name, uh, whether it was members of the administration. At that point, it was the Ethan Berkowitz administration, or if it was actual assembly members, they were able to point out, this individual was able to point out, name, go after them, swear, no repercussions. Now we fast forward to this past Tuesday. And what we had was essentially the, the assembly looking like the sensitivity team. And this is becoming a problem because none other than, I guess, you, Felix Rivera and Christopher Constant, they were going back and forth on the sensitivity issue here. Now, I don't recall any of the decorum changing when it comes to speaking in the chambers. So when you set precedent, When you allow Black Lives Matter protesters both to lay on the floor and to provide uh, additional commentary and public testimony, I would assume that particular set of rules applies across the board. But as we've seen, that does not happen. And so on Tuesday, there were various public testimony that really, I would say, struck at the heart of the assembly. It really struck at the heart of the assembly. And that is the issue at hand because the assembly shut down a lot of that talk. Whether it was the gentleman who, t- who spoke about his involvement in the community by helping name sandwiches and buying sandwiches or croissants based on the names of specific assembly members, or if it was the woman who was calling out assembly member Christopher Constant for constantly, no pun intended, ignoring or being distracted or playing with his phone or computer or whatever it is essentially not listening or paying attention which he's not the only one he just happened to be there in person and was called out or p peterson for that matter but really what it boils down to is that on tuesday dustin darden was given the floor was the time for an individual who was giving pub- public testimony was handed over to Dustin Darden, who then began to talk about his concern, his frustration, and also demanding. And again, he was being a, a bit aggressive, for sure. He was, he was a bit out of line, did not cuss or swear, but was very visibly upset. Uh, I believe he pounded the podium a couple times, was shouting, and particularly got louder once the assembly turned off his mic but was wanting the assembly to vote on removing the emergency orders that was put in place on December 1st by the acting mayor. And he was passionate about it. And yeah, he was loud. And he obviously got louder when they turned his mic off. But what resulted from that was something that I think we cannot gloss over, which is the fact that he was denied the ability to talk, mic shut off, But not only that, eventually he was actually handcuffed and removed by APD. Now, we can get into the whole riddle of how quickly APD got there and, you know, all of that mess. But the reality is, is that there is a new standard now by which the Assembly conducts business in the chambers based on political ideology. Or at least for those who are watching, it certainly seems that way. Again, you cannot have Black Lives protesters laying down in front of Felix Rivera. You can't have a Black Lives protester who then gives public testimony, cusses, calls people out, uh, uh, names people, points at people. And then at the same time, when those who do not agree with your decisions or those who do not align with your political ideology come up and call you out for ignoring them, not paying attention the fact that these orders are killing businesses, and then making that decision to name people, you can't then all of a sudden change what the rules of decorum are in the chambers and say, you're out of line. We need to stop that point of order. And I'm going to tell you, Christopher Constant does not look good in this at all. Does not look good. And there's a bit, honestly, there is a, there's a large part of me, and I wrote about this on Must Read Alaska. There's a lot of Issues when it comes to a lack of self-awareness there really is because christopher constant himself has called out people on numerous occasions particular public testimony individuals on numerous occasions and now when an individual who's giving public testimony does the same they're shut down it goes to a larger scale here and the concern really is Is there a double standard when it comes to your political ideology? And from what we're seeing from the assembly, that is very much the case. And it it gets worse from there. I mean, the assembly on Tuesday night went through a plethora of different things, including uh, a review of the uh, the emergency order and really kind of getting an explanation as to why uh, this executive or this emergency order, excuse me, was put into place. Uh, is it going to be reviewed? And one of the most important questions that was posed by an assembly member, and that's per- as Verdia, was, "Hey, can we actually control the virus?" I- I- and in asking that question, a very good question, Heather Harris, who is the director of the Anchorage Health Department, uh, was asked to chime in and provide an answer. For the three questions that Presverdia asked. And, and one of the most important ones was, can we actually control the virus? And in her answer, she was very simple and straightforward. And that's, yes, we can. So again, that leaves a lot of room. But she goes on to say, and I quote, there's ample research that shows that some of our primary mitigating factors is around, get ready for this. These, these are the three primary mitigating factors for transmission. Wearing a mask maintaining distance and washing your hands. Now, as far as I can remember, when the virus was first uh, seen as a pandemic, one of the major things that was asked of the public was to continually wash their hands. That hasn't changed, by the way. That has not changed. The addition was the distancing and the mask wearing. She goes on to say, and so as we evaluated options in these emergency orders, it was really important to come back to that. And that is those three pillars of preventing transmission. And these measures are all informed by the baseline context around being able to maintain, again, mass wearing, keeping distance, and washing your hands. She repeated those three pillars to prevent transmission. Now, keep in mind, this is not new. Harris's explanation is not new. It actually falls right in line with the CDC's recommendation for reducing transmission within like, larger or densely populated areas. And as far as I know, the last update to that was December 3rd of this year. And it maintains those three pillars for preventing and lowering transmissions. So there's a couple things that, that come out of this, and there's a couple questions that need to be answered. Is number one is, if you said, yes, you can control the virus, then why isn't the virus being controlled? That's really an important question. Because at the end of the day, if our mayor, our acting mayor, is correct, she followed all the protocols and still got COVID. So explain that to me. The other thing is, if you can control the virus, why is the virus not being controlled with all these emergency orders that have been in place? John Whittleton, during the Tuesday meeting, had said, well, once we did the hunker down in the summer, it dropped, and that is COVID cases. But COVID cases didn't eliminate or stop. They just dropped, and now we're back up again. We're doing another hunker down, and we're still seeing rises in cases. Now, to their credit, to, their, to be fair, there, there is a, there's a lag in seeing any kind of effective result from a hunker down, but the, the point still remains, if you're going to emphatically say that you can stop the virus, and the question was about stopping the virus, or, excuse me, controlling the virus, which is effectively almost the same thing, then we shouldn't be seeing what we're seeing. And the other thing is, if the three mitigating factors that she's talking about and explained and also align with the CDC recommendations is mask wearing, distancing, and washing your hands, then what's the need for the hunker down? If those are the three most important factors to mitigating the spread and transmission of COVID-19, why are we cutting our economy off? Why? I still don't understand. Well, it gets better Uh, in that same kind of sequence of questioning. uh, Jamie Allard, who's on the assembly, also asked the question of, well, why are churches locked down? Churches aren't being locked down. People are still gathering. And her assertion was, is that they're probably all not following the guidelines to a T. And there has been no outbreak. There has been no uh, overwhelming COVID cases in churches. Now, Harris did a great job of just regurgitating and summarizing the emergency order in that answer, but what, what really was an eye-opener was, again, <laughs> the municipality attorney, Kate Vogel, decided to step into this one, which I thought was interesting, and, and we're going to figure out why here in a minute, but she kind of interjected, uh, didn't quite cut Harris off, but as soon as Harris was done, she spoke up and, and essentially said the reason why was because the U.S. Supreme Court rulings have now changed and are in favor of constitutional rights. Surprise, surprise. Now, again, I'm not a play-by-play commentator when it comes to the assembly meetings, which I think I should be, because I'd be awesome at it. It would be awesome. But I can tell you that on the phone as I'm listening to this, there's sort of a disdain. Her quote is, with the new makeup of the Supreme Court, they did change course a little bit from where they were or had been in the spring when they had Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the bench. An interesting, super interesting comment. She then goes on. There is a new makeup of the court. Again, that's with Amy Coney Barrett added there. And they elevated, as I said, the importance, the constitutional importance, can I get an amen on that one, of being able to gather for the purpose of worship. And to my response, yeah, that's what should happen. The Constitution should be held at the highest standard and the rights of the American people should be held higher than anything else. And that includes churches, the freedom of religion, freedom of speech. But really, when you read these quotes and when you actually hear her saying it during the meeting, you're thinking to yourself, there's such disdain for that. There's such disdain for the the actual elevation of the Constitution and personal freedoms and liberties over a crackdown. And my point is, is yes, yes, that is true. That should happen. But then it gets even better. So Crystal Kennedy then follows up and, and makes a comment about controlling the virus and the fact that it's not working. And, and she used, I can't, I can't remember right off the top of my head, but something that was pretty emphatic to saying that it's ludicrous to think you can control the virus. Essentially saying that closing down businesses within Anchorage is only right now driving residents of the municipality to go to the valley, which is then causing sort of this economic downturn to, to accelerate because they're, they're still spending their money in Alaska, but they're not spending it in the municipality. They're going to, in her reference, the valley. Now, this is interesting. And this is what, you know, as we've been talking about what's going on in the municipality and, and about the CARES Uh, funds and all that stuff there's there's such a there's such a great I guess for lack of a better word dichotomy here when it comes to the assembly the assembly wants all the power but none of the blame they want all the authority but none of the responsibility and it's none none has been more uh, evident in that than their blame shifting when it comes to whether it's policy or whether it comes to cares act funds it's such a blame shift here And, and Vogel's no different so when she, uh, when she was, again, interrupting to answer Kennedy's question and, and really a statement about the fact that this virus hasn't been slowed down, we're hurting the economy, Anchorage residents are going to the Valley to spend their money. Vogel says, essentially, I think from a legal standpoint, I can only say we have a certain jurisdiction. And we can do what we can do to stop spread within our jurisdiction. Saying, like, listen, my our powers, if we could rule the world, Alaska, we would. And we would impose this on every place. But we only have the municipality of Anchorage. Now, prior to that, she also blamed Governor Mike Dunleavy for the people going to the valley to shop and dine. Because here's her thought. Here's, here's everybody's train of thought within that line of... Of political ideology is that the governor should mandate statewide masks instead of what the governor said, which is, I'm going to allow the boroughs and municipalities to make that decision. Now, Vogel is saying, No, 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 that's not good enough. Part of it is because they don't want to be held responsible for their policy making decision, in my opinion, because again, it's a PR nightmare they're dealing with right now. The assembly and really more the extension of the uh, acting mayor's administration by imposing these emergency orders are creating an economic downturn that is going to bite them when it comes to election time. I'm letting you know there is no way the Alaskan people are not going to remember what has happened over the course of this year and the policies put into place by the democratic left-leaning portion of those in charge. They're not going to forget it and I hope that shows at the poll. But by putting all the onus on our governor, that takes away their responsibility so they have the authority but no responsibility again. And this is the problem at hand, is that the blame shifting is really not about a reality of, of what should happen. It's about the perception that it's not their responsibility. And it's quite, it's, it's a genius plan. I mean, it really is. But Vogelblades Dunleavy saying, hey, the reason why Anchorage residents are going to the valley It's because of Mike Dunleavy. And more importantly, it's because he will not instill and mandate a statewide masking for all of its residents. In other words, he will not enforce a mask mandate statewide. Thus, we have to do it because we know what's right. And because we have to do that, people are going elsewhere to spend their money. So, you know, really the person, the Grinch is Governor Dunleavy. We're just trying to be good people. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Well, then, of course, she goes on and says, the governor could be taking stronger action. Oh, really? Instead of just giving you the ability to govern, you want the governor to just make sweeping mandates. Okay. It, meaning a mass mandate, would be statewide, of course, and it would alleviate some of these concerns about people going to the lowest common denominator in terms of finding the place with the least restrictions and doing their shopping there. People do not brush over that last statement. Do not brush over that last statement. Let me remind you, that the point of this conversation was the fact that Crystal Kennedy said that Anchorage residents are going to the Valley because the stores are open and restaurants are open to spend their money. And essentially, what the municipal attorney, Kate Vogel, said was that the Valley is the lowest common denominator. Again, the Valley and Governor Dunleavy are inextricably tied. That's where the governor lives. So you've got this double shot, this double backhand from the Anchorage municipal attorney saying that the the valley is essentially the least or lowest, excuse me, common denominator in terms of finding a place where the least restrictions and doing their shopping there, talking about Anchorage residents. So who's, who's really, again, I, I want to make it very clear. She's not only talking about the valley, but she's also talking about Anchorage residents. Listen, if Anchorage residents are going to the lowest common denominator, you are guilty by association. So let me just, let me just, let me just summarize what's going on. Our municipal attorney believes that the Valley and Anchorage residents who visit the Valley because they want to go into stores and purchase things and don't want to be hunkered down in their home and they want to go out to eat, you and an area and a region of people are the lowest common denominator. It's astounding. It's astounding. But here we are. This is our municipal attorney giving her two cents on exactly what's going on and what she believes about not only the the residents of this municipality but also the matsu valley and it's really a shame it really is a shame because if if we would just stop if if the the blaming and you know the attack about the statewide mask mandate and if the municipality if the mayor's administration and and everybody in between would just take responsibility for the actions that they're imposing on residents, on businesses, statements like that would not look so ludicrous because they wouldn't be made. They would not be made. They just wouldn't be. And if you're looking right now, there is a massive amount of people in Anchorage right now that are continually contracting COVID-19. So I would assume that the municipality, the mayor's administration, including the attorney, would really spend most of their time focusing on how to figure out what's going on here as opposed to the valley itself. And the implication in that is that the, the reason why rates are so, or quote, getting so high, or, or I guess case counts are high in Anchorage, based on her logic, is the fact that people go out of municipality and come back in and thus bringing the virus in, which is extremely false. It's an unfortunate, very unfortunate thing to say. And, and really, it it shows exactly what's going on in terms of uh, the mindset of this administration and, and really the municipality as a whole, including the assembly or most of the assembly. Now, I, I got to close up here. But one thing I do want to touch on is the fact that uh, on Tuesday, and if you haven't downloaded the, uh, the podcast, the Tuesday podcast, I'd encourage you to do so. We had Governor Mike Dunleavy on as a special guest, and we spent about half an hour, a little bit over half an hour with him talking about vaccines. We talked about uh, mass mandates. We talked about vaccine mandating as well. And, and really, it was a great conversation with the governor. He shared some insight into the reasons why he is uh, deciding not to uh, interject into certain areas uh, because of law, and so I would encourage you, if you want to know some of the reasons why the governor has not intervened, uh, particularly whether it's Anchorage or in the Kenai Peninsula or Matsu Valley or wherever, uh, you know, I, I would suggest you listening to that podcast. But he did give us some really great information. And and some of that is that is that we're going to have about 100,000 doses of COVID-19 vaccine coming within the next two weeks to Alaska. Now, Close to or probably over 50,000 of those doses are going to be for the military, and that's coming from a federal program. But we've got about, jeez, just shy of 55,000 doses coming from Pfizer and Moderna. And for those who are looking to get vaccinated, uh, that's going to be great for them. Uh, there is a there is sort of this distribution priority list right now, and hospitals and frontline workers will be first, followed by long term care residents and staff, EMS, fire personnel, community health practitioners, and personal you know personnel administrating the vaccines themselves. Well, that's sort of the list of priority there. But but the governor said we will have as much vaccination coming into the state as requested by residents. I, I think this is an interesting. Uh, development. This has been uh, the fastest development of a, a vaccine ever. So, of course, there's there's a lot of speculation, a lot of questions around this this vaccination. The governor has uh, also stated he will not mandate the vaccine, which I think is great. I don't think there should be any mandating of vaccines at all. But uh, he said he will not do that. The vaccine, obviously, like I said, will be available for those who um, who want it. And I think there's a there's really an underlying issue here and. And and something that we need to think about, which is this, is that will the vaccination actually help alleviate the pressure and the understanding, uh, at least that are Alaska's economic uh, viability in the future needs to to be at the forefront of this. Meaning, with the vaccination coming, will it alleviate a lot of the concerns about COVID nineteen, thus being able to open up stores? Open up restaurants open up hospitality open up the businesses that are being shut down and my hope is is that's true my hope is is that's true I think that if you're going to implement a vaccine and provide people the opportunity to get it we need to quit putting such economic pressure on all of our our state's businesses and open them up as well and by providing a vaccine you're giving the people the option so if somebody doesn't get a vaccine they've made that choice that they're they're not willing to to you know, go down that road, but that, that should not prevent businesses from being allowed to open up. And in the economy of Alaska to once again, not be closed or or shut down, uh, particularly in Anchorage, but to be able to be open up vibrant again, and to start the recovery process, because it will be a recovery process. You're not just going to open up businesses and all of a sudden everything's back to normal. I mean, a lot of these small locally owned businesses have shut down for good. People's livelihoods have been destroyed because of it. And it's not going to stop right away. But I think with the vaccine coming forward within the next two weeks and then trickling in, that's more vaccinations as, as needed. Um, those who want to get inoculated will, will be able to do so and move on. Those who don't have made that choice. But what shouldn't suffer is the Alaska economy anymore. With the arrival of this vaccine, I am really hoping that we open up our business, our economy, and and begin the process of restoring what has been uh, a a pretty severe setback to Alaska. Not to mention the addition of what possibly could be a new Biden administration is already going to set a lot of our development within our our state back. At least that's what it perceives to be as as of right now. So I think with the addition and the infiltration of the vaccine into Alaska, it should provide. Uh, a lot of these local municipalities or boroughs the option to open up. And I think that's what needs to happen because we cannot continue to close businesses and expect our economy to recover at any decent amount of time with what's happening right now. So that's that's really the hope. And I think that's a good thing. So if you haven't checked out uh, or downloaded the Tuesday podcast, I want to recommend that you do that. But Uh, That's about it for what I have right now. There's a lot going on in Alaska. Again, stay tuned and make sure you visit mustreadalaska.com for great content. If you're more of a social person, go to facebook.com slash mustreadalaska. You can find us on Parlor, MeWe, we're everywhere right now. And, of course, if you want to see some of the great video content that we pull either from assembly meetings or original content from us, head on over to YouTube at youtube.com slash mustreadalaska. There's great content there. Again, I want to just make sure I shout out my team. Uh, I appreciate our fearless leader. Suzanne Downing I appreciate John Quick and I love being a part of this team and until next week take care Alaska